today on Ag News Daily. Nonprofit here in 2020 coming out of the pandemic, I guess in the middle of the pandemic at the time, we didn't really know where that was, uh, but just love this organization. Nonprofit focused entirely on growing what we call ag bioscience, the ag bioscience economy. It's well, listeners, welcome back. Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, second day of the Farm Progress Show. I want to remind you, this episode is brought to you by Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now by going to NutrientAgSolutions.com slash Farm Smart. Got a little bit of a, a, a rasp in my voice this morning, Delaney. I think it's because you were podcasting too hard yesterday, Tanner. <laughs> we did do quite a few interviews, so I'm excited to share some of that information with uh, our listeners, but uh, excited for a second day. It looks to be great. We've got a high of 76 here at the show. Uh, it will be a little bit breezy, so I'm sure we'll have some signs that aren't on display today that were yesterday. They got a quarter inch of rain in some spots last night, so maybe parking will be a little interesting, and I wonder, they're not going to cancel the field demos, but it's certainly going to give the field demos a little bit of a different look, but where most of the weather focused right now, Delaney, is on Hurricane Idalia. The storm has intensified now into a dangerous Category 4 hurricane that will pack winds of 130 miles per hour. This is now going to turn streets into rivers, create a bunch of power outages, as long or just as it gets to Florida's western shore ahead of an expected landfall this morning. The residents are warned that they should be fleeing from their properties. The National Guard is prepping for rescues. The extremely dangerous storm is expected to strike the Big Bend coast linking Florida's panhandle and the peninsula. Today, this once-in-a-lifetime storm could put damaging winds and life-threatening storm surges up to 16 feet. They were still rapidly intensifying this morning around 5 o'clock a.m. It was about 60 miles west, southwest of Cedar Key, Florida. The storm is now expected to remain a hurricane for longer, so we have warnings issued for southeastern Georgia and South Carolina. The Hurricane Center has also put out a tornado watch for around 12 million people across central and northern Florida and Georgia. It's quite interesting when you look at the storm path for where this hurricane is headed. Delaney, it looks like it's going to split between Tallahassee and Jacksonville. It's going to head up right through Savannah, Charleston, and off Myrtle Beach. Well, Tanner, I'm also at a show this week in Indianapolis, Rally Innovation, which is put together, put together fairly last minute, if I'm being honest, but was put together by the Indiana Economic Development Group, uh, as well as a couple of their statewide organizations focused on bringing together the latest and greatest folks in ag tech, sports tech, healthcare, entrepreneurship, hard tech, and a few other major uh, industries. But for ag tech, there's been a variety of different topics being discussed here on that track. And autonomy and automation is certainly one of those major topics. And I think that's very fitting because I'm sure at the Farm Progress Show, Tanner, we're seeing that be a very big topic of discussion once again. And Raven has announced a trio of products to pave the way on their path to autonomy. They said they are starting now the pre-sale launch of Raven Cart Automations, which removes, of course, a green cart driver from the tractor. They also have direct steer electrical steering and auto 
have Menta integration with the Raven Sense and Act suite of products. I think most of these products that I just referred to there, Tanner, were products that were developed outside of the Raven system and were brought in through various acquisitions and mergers. But most of these products, it looks like, will be available next year or some of them maybe even beta testing this fall. Yeah, that's interesting. I think most of the rest of my headlines are going to be focused around some releases coming out of Farm Progress after this one. Right now, we have a legal battle between landmark, or it's a landmark fight between hunters and the government. This legal battle is discussing drones being used for deer recovery. Hunters have a right to use drones in the recovery of downed deer. That's the anchored First Amendment right that is being argued. A legal flight, a legal fight is underway about drone flight. I don't know who wrote that, Delaney, but that is a tongue <laughs> teaser for before markets open today. Uh, looking at combination of freedom of speech and entrepreneurship that is being bound by government control. The federal lawsuit is contending that there is a constitutional right to collect and disseminate information on the location of downed game. What's happening is drones are used after a hunter kills a deer or wounds a deer to help them track. So if a hunter is unable to or loses sight of a blood trail and unable to track their animal, they have a company that has come out, Michael Yoder, has been using drones to spray corn in the Midwest, as well as other crop spraying, and has created a company called Drone Deer Recovery. This business is aimed at using drone technology, such as thermal vision, to go out and find the heat signature of a deer after a hunter has lost the trail. So it's interesting to see that they are arguing First Amendment rights with the ability to go out and fall, follow the track and trail of this animal to be able to collect the carcass. It's uh, not super clear. The fight against the First Amendment right to do this, but the heat signatures from the deer will last, uh, in, according to the outside temperatures, ne nearly 36 to 48 hours after the hunter has made their kill. And they're flying nearly 400 feet away to do this search. So it'll be quite interesting to see what is happening. But in Michigan, he has been blocked from operating his drone business. And since July of 23, the DNR is stating that uh, it is not a legal method of hunting, no matter what licensing he has. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this story plays out because uh, it seems quite minimal to me, Delaney, if the hunter is already out there and the animal's already been wounded or, or killed in an instance, that uh, they should have the right to go receive it as long as they had the proper methods and licenses in place in order to be hunting legally. So interesting story. Yeah, it certainly is. And I've got one other piece of, of policy-related news here myself, Theater, and that is related to WOTUS. We finally have, as of Tuesday afternoon, new Waters of the U.S. rules following the Supreme Court decision of Sackett versus EPA back in the May Supreme Court ruling that required the EPA to revise the definition of WOTUS. We finally have that revised definition. The two primary changes that were made with this latest revision, round of revisions, Tanner, were clarification on what wetlands are and which ones actually 
have jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act. And we also saw the removal of the significant nexus test. So as we look at specifics on what each of those two pieces mean, the first one when we talk about clarification of wetlands protected under the Clean Water Act is basically they now have to have a continuous surface connection to a navigable waterway. So the big question was pond, um, like puddles and small little waterways that were not lakes or streams or ponds, how did those get classified? And so under the new ruling that came out yesterday, this defines that wetlands are not defined as adjacent or jurisdictional in the Clean Water Act solely because they are bordering those contiguous or neighboring waterways or are separated from other waterways by man-made barriers. We also saw with the significant nexus standard, that's been a big point of contention for a lot of folks. And as we look at what that significant nexus is, Tanner, this standard essentially allowed the EPA and the US Army Corps of Engineers to determine whether waters were covered by law if there is a chemical connection to a larger navigable water body. So these two revisions really go hand in hand and it removes some of the jurisdictional power out of the EPA and US Army Corps of Engineers hands to decide once again, if things like a puddle or a stream or, you know, fill in the blank are actually a waterway that could be challenged under the Clean Water Act. So removes a little bit of power there. It's pretty clear um, with moving water, especially that that is a Clean Water Act. So ponds, lakes, rivers, <clears throat> oceans, those are very clearly defined. But some of the other pieces, like I mentioned there, we're not so clearly defined and we finally got a little bit of, of uh, clarity there. And really ultimately this pretty much moves WOTUS back to the Trump administration definition of the of the ruling, so. I appreciate the update there. I've got two John Deere headlines to share next. John Deere Sea and Spray Ultimate could save growers 60% on post-emergent herbicides. That technology is using 36 cameras to target and spray weeds. Instead of spraying the entire field, if there are 100 acres, you may only be spraying 40 acres worth of chemical because that's the technology using uh, vision in order just to see the weeds. See and Spray uh, is on display here at the Farm Progress Show and came into full production for 2023. There are updates and improvements being made, but you can get performance upgrade kits to add to your current sprayer does come standard as an option on a new sprayer, but see and spray premium can be the product that's added to your existing one. The next headline is a partnership that John Deere has announced with Cargill to expand their regenerative ag practices. Cargill and John Deere announced their partnership to extend the Regen Connect program. The partnership will provide farmers an easy way to synchronize their infield practices and data and record keeping via John Deere's operation center to the program that is in place through Cargo. Cargo provides financial incentive to farmers using regenerative ag practices. The Regen Connect program is available to all operation centers in 24 U.S. states. Now in its third year, this will promote the use of cover crops, no-till, or reduced tillage. The program is enrolled acres that can be growing corn, soybean, wheat, or cotton. So this shared vision for advancing sustainability through digital capabilities is the proud announcement between John Deere and Cargill. 
Well, Tanner, as you look at the most expensive areas to buy farmland, do they coincide with the most expensive areas to rent farmland? That is the note here of a recent USDA NAS survey, which looked at 2023 cash rents. They pulled together the top 10 highest cash rents by county across the United States and Corn Belt specifically here. And they included data from 250,000 farmers with more than $1,000 in agricultural sales. When we look at the top 10 states, or excuse me, top 10 counties, Tanner, in 2022, eight Illinois counties and two Iowa counties made the most expensive cash rent listing. So let's dig in here. Tanner, as you look at the highest average cash rent by county for Corn Belt, it did come in in the county of Moultrie County, Illinois. What do you think the highest cash rate was for this county of in Illinois? $620. Okay, you got a little aggressive there. No, about half of that, $367 per acre. So I, and this I, did, is not win. I no, did not win the price didn't. is right because I went over a dollar. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, you did. Uh, the next couple of counties were also in Iowa. We did see Grundy County, Iowa make the list, which Tanner is one of the counties we've seen those top farmland sales here in the state of Iowa happen in. So that does correlate there. A few other counties in Illinois. Um, and so for the most part, we saw that the list stay fairly similar uh, compared to last year. But the lowest uh, on the list here with nine other listings in the Midwest, we saw coming in at number 10, Michigan, with a $220 per acre cash rent. So that was at the low end of things here. Wow. Interesting. Appreciate you sharing that last headlines I've got. Just updates coming from Russia. Russia saw a largest the largest drone assault on its territory Wednesday morning, causing airport closures and flight delays across most of their country. The attacks were mostly thwarted, is what Russian media is saying. Russian forces conducted a massive drone and missile attack right back on Kiev, killing at least two people. Ukrainian officials are reporting that Russian rockets attacked the southern city of Odessa. Moscow on Wednesday claimed it destroyed four Ukrainian military boats with special forces on board other ships in the Black Sea. Kiev has not com commented on that claim so far, so we'll continue to keep and monitor those situations. But the most significant drone assault on its territory was prior to the one reported today in February of 2022. Russian air defense forces claimed that they, they intercepted most of those drones. In response, though, to the security of the Moscow airports, they shut all of them down and suspended flight operations. So uh, might have been a minor victory there as well. However, Ukraine is reporting that Russia launched more than 40 aerial attacks in the Odessa region, which is obviously going to make shipping grain out of that corridor even more difficult if they continue to provide that kind of pressure. But Delaney, that's what I've got for news and headlines today. Tanner, I think I am pretty much out of headlines as well. It seems like most folks here are at the Farm Progress show and focused on new rollouts there. So I know we're going to have some great interviews coming from Farm Progress show that you recorded. 
Uh, we're also going to be hearing from some folks here at Rally Innovation. So before we get to that, let's take a look, Tanner, at where the overnights are trading for today. And actually, we're recording pretty early compared to what we usually do. So overnights are still in full swing, Tanner. Trying to get you out the door to get to Farm Progress Show to avoid hopefully those long lines this morning. But here, a couple hours before the close of the open, September corn is up four cents at 4.73. De-snew-crop corn also up four at 4.90 and three quarters. September soybeans up five and three quarters cents at 13.87 and three quarters. New crop beans up six and a quarter at 13.98 and three quarters. September hard red winter wheat up two and a half cents at 7.16 and three quarters. Chicago September wheat up six and a quarter cent at 576 and September spring wheat down four and a quarter cent at 751 and a half. Livestock and where they ended yesterday, October live cattle shed seven and a half cents at a buck 81.47. September feeder cattle shed a quarter at 254.02 and a half. And October lean hog shed a dollar 12 and a half at 80.72 and a half. Dinner had a great conversation yesterday with a nonprofit group here in the state of Indiana called Agrinovis Indiana that's focused on pairing up startups uh, with people here in the state of Indiana. With the Farm Smart podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. Well, I've been at Rally Innovation this week, which we've been talking a little bit on the podcast, but catching up some really interesting people in Indianapolis this week. One of which is Mitch Fraser, the CEO for Agronovus Indiana. Mitch, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It was fun to be a guest on your yes. podcast. Yeah, Delaney, thank you so much. So fun to meet you and to learn about ag culture marketing and the work you're doing with Ag News Daily. So Mitch, you have a probably the most diverse background that I've heard uh, from any of our guests that we've had on in quite some time. Didn't grow up on a farm, but found yourself finding your way into this industry. Talk to us about your path to get here. Yeah, I did. I had a great chance to grow up in rural Indiana, left and joined the Army and spent five years on active duty in the Army, was on active duty during 9-11, got out of the Army, uh, volunteered, deployed to Iraq as a public affairs leader and did uh, just a, had an amazing experience in Iraq. Ultimately came back here to Indiana to work for the governor in economic development, which led me into tech, a clear path and uh, was part of the team that took a tech company called Exact Target Public, a digital marketing tech company. About a year after we went public, we were acquired by Salesforce. And then I started my own outsourced sort of fractional chief marketing officer business. And Delaney, it was just, it was so fun to be able to work with early stage companies. One of those companies was part of a regional John Deere dealer. And ultimately I went to the John Deere dealer, became their leader for e-commerce as well as chief marketing officer. And that's where I fell in love with ag. I fell in love with a world that your listeners live in every day that you and I have talked so much about. This idea of this is the only economy in the world that touches every person on this planet. And it's where tech and reality come together, right? Where we're using technology to produce the food that people need. And then I joined Agronovus, a nonprofit here in 2020 coming out of the pandemic, I guess in the middle of the pandemic at the time, we didn't really know where that was. Uh, but just love this organization, nonprofit focused entirely on growing 
what we call ag bioscience, the ag bioscience economy. It's food, it's animal health, it's plant science, and it's ag tech. It's about a $58 billion direct economy here in the state, and I just am having a ball. I love that. And nonprofits, I think, get to be in their own special category because you just get the, the red tape is off sometimes with certain things, and you probably get to see things through a different perspective than businesses. But for those of our listeners not familiar with Agronovis, tell us about what the company is doing. Yeah, so we have a, a great board of 35 leaders of ag executives, everyone from Elanco, the second largest animal health company in the world, to Corteva, the largest pure play ag company, both of those headquartered here in Indiana, to regional brands like Bex Hybrids, to uh, brands like AgriLiant Genetics. Uh, really any ag company that's here in Indiana is involved in Agronovus, and we work with them and say, hey, what, what makes sense? What are you looking at for growth? What areas of innovation do you care most about? Our team goes across the country and around the world to try to find those technologies, make the introductions, ultimately enable our board, our community to grow. And sometimes that's partnerships. It looks a whole bunch of different ways. And then the work that you do, Delaney, we're out telling the story, right? So we have a big thought leadership platform. You mentioned the Ag Bioscience podcast. That's one of the ways that you know, we shine a giant spotlight on this. We think that there's a really powerful view for a nonprofit to have. If you're gonna go talk with companies, talk with leaders, whether they be in government, venture capital, wherever they are in this ecosystem, you need to be informed by data and you need to have a thought leadership platform. So we do research, we talk about it on the podcast, we have events, and I get to talk with people like you. I'm nerding out a little bit because I think this this conference is just so cool to have all these intersections of different people from startup companies to venture capitalists to nonprofits such as yourself. So when you look at you know the past work you've done, you mentioned you've been with the company since 2020. What are some of the coolest companies and technologies that you've seen since your time here? You know, it really is incredible. As we look back to what then was the early days of the pandemic, we didn't know it. You know, my view was, still is, there'll be winners and losers around the world, right? There, there are economies who will thrive coming out of the pandemic. And there are so many interesting technologies across each of those platforms in food and animal health and plant science and ag tech. So many great companies. You're leading a panel here at Rally on AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And you look at just this, that, that little tiny slice of the puzzle of what's possible in ag. And we welcomed a company here from Israel, a company that we visited back in 2018, a company called Tyrannus. Now Delaney, this is crazy. So imagine being able to get sub-millimeter precision on a leaf. So flying, whether it's through, you know, whatever imagery acquisition model you're using, being able to get sub-millimeter precision on a leaf, and so say based on that hole, right, based on that little blight that we see on the leaf, using machine learning, well, that's that's an aphid, and using artificial intelligence based on all the data we know, we believe it's gonna spread here tomorrow and here next week. Like, that is a powerful example of just the mind-blowing innovation that are, that are happening here in ag bioscience. It's so interesting you mentioned it was an Israeli company too because I've worked with a few Israeli companies and I think, I'm gonna make a bold prediction, and I think that Israel and that part of the world is just waiting to boom and explode when it comes to especially ag tech. There's so many applications. You know, this is a country who is largely desert and they have, you know, innovated their way into becoming an agricultural powerhouse. I mean, you look at the work that they've done specifically in irrigation as we look at just the arid environment in which they live. I mean, it's incredible when you look at leaders like Netafim and, and 
sort of all the things that are happening in Israel. And it's not just an irrigation. I think that one's the one that's the most obvious. Okay, so you're, you and your team, you're going out, you're finding all of these interesting companies, you're learning about them, you're doing research with them, and then you're bringing them back to the board that works with Agronovus, and you're doing re- research. I'm just trying to wrap my head around all the different things that you guys do. Yeah, it's incredible. We really think about it as three product lines, if you will. So one, business growth. That's the environment that you just talked about. It's understanding from the board what they're seeing, what they're interested in, and making those connections. We think about the same in startup acceleration. So startup acceleration being our second product line, that's working with venture capital in, in much of the same way of understanding who's in their portfolio, what are they seeing. But it's also in us going to industry and saying, hey, what problems do you have? We run innovation challenges where we give away $25,000 to an innovator who can solve a big problem. And we think that's a really interesting way to fuel and ignite startups and entrepreneurship. And then lastly, those two really sit on this thought leadership platform that we discussed of let's do primary research, let's understand what's happening, let's have an informed point of view of the future, and then let's go be really intentional about telling that story through events, through conferences like this, through our podcast. How do we help others who aren't in this every day see the absolute tremendous opportunity there is to change the world right here in agriculture? So would farmers listening to our podcast right now, would they be part of your target audience that you're working for? Or are you really just trying to find the next greatest thing to help serve that farming and ranching community? You know, I think the greatest innovation begins with what problem are you trying to solve? And to me, farmers and ranchers, they hold the key. They have the understanding, the unique market understanding of what problems actually need to be solved. And so for those farmers that are listening, those ranchers that are listening, if you have your short list, maybe you know, scratched on something somewhere, I would love to hear from you because it's, it, that, that's how we need to solve it. And we need to solve it in a way that's not just you know, growth for growth's sake, as we've seen previous chapters uh, in all kinds of parts of the economy. This is about how do we drive net farm income? How do we use innovation? whether it's scientific innovation, whether it's technical innovation, to really drive net farm income. And if you're a farmer, you're a rancher listening, Delaney, I'd love if you connect us. Awesome. We'll absolutely do that. Listeners, stay tuned here to find out how you can reach Mitch. But Mitch, when you look at big trends coming down the pipeline, down, down, you know, for farmers and ranchers, as you mentioned, I got to speak on a panel here looking at artificial intelligence and machine learning. So I think that's definitely one of the spaces that's going to be big for the community. But what else do you see as big trends for the future? Yeah, I think there are really three that we've focused on this year of not just understanding, but really starting to begin to say, how can we be an influencer to accelerate these trends? So first is, I really believe biofuels will reemerge as part of this energy transition. You know, we typically look at the energy transition and we look at it as almost a binary move from fossil fuels to electrification. There is a giant space in between there for ag, specifically agriculture, plant science to play a role. We saw a big move earlier this year with Corteva and Chevron and Bungie coming together to create a new low carbon fuel. I think there's more of those to come. So that's one big trend. Another we look at is labor. I mean, literally every sector of this economy, ag is no different, is challenged with labor. And I believe that labor challenges will create massive opportunity for innovation. And we've seen early moves in that. We saw John Deere make big moves back in the late 20, what was like 2018, 2017. They bought Blue River Technologies in 2020, I believe. They bought uh, Bear Flag Robotics all around autonomy. Case made some moves in this space as well with purchasing Raven. 
And so I think when you look at those, we're seeing big companies, equipment companies specifically, focus on how do we solve a labor problem? Not just autonomy for autonomy's sake, because it's cool, but it's truly how do we how do we solve a problem? Back to the back to the call to action for our farmers and ranchers. How do we identify a problem and how do we uniquely solve it? The last big trend that we see is I really do think ag tech consolidation will accelerate, and I think it's a it's a couple different layers. I think we're in a state where farmers and ranchers are seeing all these point solutions and they're saying, hey, make this easy, make this so it actually does solve a problem in my farm but it's actually really easy for me to use. And so I think we'll see some of that. I think monetary policy is also probably driving some of that consolidation with you know, 7% interest, 6 7% interest rates. It, you know, investors into all spaces of the economy, particularly the risk class that is venture capital, you know, could we potentially see venture inflows slow, which would then make it really challenging for a lot of these ag tech companies to continue to grow in you know, a Series B or a Series C level raise. I think we'll see some strategic acquisitions from big companies that pick up maybe what could have been some orphan technologies. So biofuels reemerge as part of the energy transition. Labor challenges, I really do believe, will drive innovation. And then lastly, I really do think ag tech consolidation will accelerate. Awesome, Mitch. Well, I think that puts a good bow on our conversation for today. But again, if listeners want to reach out, share some of their scribblings that they've got, maybe about yes. some problems they want solved, how can they get a hold of you? couple different ways, agronovusindiana.com, agronovusindiana.com. You can find us there, or you can listen to us every Monday at Ag Bioscience. It's a podcast at your favorite podcast store. Great. Well, Mitch, thanks again for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Delaney. Appreciate you being here. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the FarmSmart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Well, good conversation there, Delaney. Grab, glad that you grabbed that. That's another tongue twister up. Not avoided those this morning, but don't forget, listeners, subscribe to Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or visit nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. We've got day two of the Farm Progress Show, so it'll be exciting to give some more updates tomorrow. But what do you say for today? Do we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.